This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Today on the Gender Card, we will speak to Griffith University PhD candidate Sophia Amasari about her research across three countries with Duncan McDonnell from Griffith University and Marco Valbruzzi from the University of Naples, looking at how gender impacts young people's political ambitions. Studies have long and consistently shown that women tend to be less politically aspirational than men, as they are less interested in standing for election as candidates. But Sophia's research found that women are as likely as men to want to pursue a political career within the party's organisation. These findings are important because they help debunk well-established myths around women being less politically motivated than men, when in reality it is more the type of political career that is important. These results were recently published in the European Journal of Political Research, providing new insights into the gendered nature of political ambition. The Griffith Gender Card podcast acknowledges the people who are the traditional custodians of the land, pays respect to the elders past and present, and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Sophia, welcome to the Gender Card. Thanks, Nance. Thank you so much for joining us. Really want to hear about what you've discovered regarding gender and political ambition. This is quite a talking point, isn't it? And people have all sorts of views on this and how it affects people's decisions and how they, <laughs> whether they will go into politics, is it really affected by gender? So can you tell us about this wonderful journal article that you've just had published in an international publication? So congratulations, firstly, on that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, so that article is part of a large comparative project on youth women members of centre-left and centre-right parties in Australia and other European countries. And it's a project led led by Duncan MacDonnell here at Griffith University. And in this study in particular, we wanted to investigate whether women and men members of youth wings differ in their electoral ambition, which is the desire to stand as candidates one day, and in their non-electoral ambition, which relates more to the aspiration of working for the parties in the future. And yeah, the political phenomenon that we were interested in is women's underrepresentation in politics. So we know that there are less women than men both as, you know, elected representatives and also as party officials, advisors, and so on. And there are several reasons why this is the case. So you can take the perspectives of the political parties, and political parties do not provide a nice environment (laughs) to women because they put in place all sorts of formal and informal barriers to their participation. An example of formal barriers could be in 
the candidate selections process, for example, the sort of criteria that political parties want in terms of experience, party service, resources and so on, tend really to favor men over women. And on the more informal side of these barriers, I'm really referring to all those sort of gatekeeping practices that party officials put in place against women. So that could be just, you know, the double bind that women are subject to in politics. So, for instance, if you are very ambitious, if you speak assertively, it's not good because you're a woman, a woman. But then those are exactly the leadership trait that you need in order to make a career in politics. <laughs> yes, that, that is something a lot of us are familiar with, I think. <laughs> not only in politics, that's right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. And that's what political parties do in order to hinder women's representation. On the other end, there is this idea that it's on women themselves, right? Because they are less interested in politics, for example, because they feel less politically efficacious. That means that they are less likely than men to think, actually, with my political action, I can make a difference, right? And they're also less politically ambitious. Now, this is the product of centuries of socialization for which women are just belong to the private space, whereas men are more in the public. But it was specifically this gender gap in political ambition that, that we were interested in. And really trying to find out why that was happening, it, it, it sounds like. We, we know it's been happening for a while, but really why? Yeah, and at what stage even? Because we know that it's so omnipresent among women from different countries, among young women already. There had been studies done in Canada and in the US that already at a younger age, these women are less ambitious. Even women party members that they should be, you know, politically interested, engaged and so on, have displayed these uh, lower career aspirations. But what we wanted to see is whether this gap also held when you looked at non-electoral political careers, right? Okay. And what do you mean by, by that? Non-electoral yeah. careers? Because all these studies that I've been mentioning, I really looked at the desire to run for public office. But the point is that that's not the only way you can make a political career, right? Especially in the past decades that political parties have become increasingly professionalized. So they rely less on volunteer party members doing the job, but actually they hire professional staffers and so on as campaign advisors. And, and in a range of roles. Um, <laughs> it's true, we do forget about that, don't we? That, that it's not just running for office or, yes, becoming a politician per se. Yeah. There are other ways to serve in a party sense. Exactly. There is all this range of political careers really behind the scenes, behind the spotlight. So this was one of the main contributions of our study, distinguishing between electoral and non-electoral ambition and looking at what's going on there, let's say. And this was also because we know that women, it's not that they participate less in politics, but they participate differently. So, for example, in a variety of sociocultural contexts from Western countries to Africa to Asia, we know that women tend to participate more in less visible forms of political activism, 
I'm talking about, for instance, making financial contributions to political groups or signing petitions or boycotting products for political reasons. Whereas men are really more active in the public sphere, right? So they go, they attend demonstrations, they attend party meetings and so on. So there are reasons to think that in order to really understand the gender nature of political ambition, it is helpful to look at both types of political careers. And that's what we do in our study. So... Yes, while women, it sounds like you've found, while women are less interested in standing as candidates, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not the full picture. There's also non-electoral roles that uh, that they're really interested in going for. Yeah, and in particular, we wanted to see if these different behaviours between women and men starts already at a young age. Oh, so that's why you looked at the, the surveys were really at the youth party wing. Exactly, Mm -hmm. because we wanted to see if already among this bunch of super politically involved and politically interested young people, you can already find gender differences in terms of their aspirations. And this is especially interesting because we know that in parliamentary democracies like Australia, a lot of the candidates of the party leaders, of the ministers and so on, come really from the party's grassroots. From those youth days at university. Exactly. Like our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, in fact. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's true. There's a lot of commitment in those early youth party stages. So what did you find? I suppose firstly we should ask, how did you do this survey? How, How widespread was this? Yeah. So we managed to collect data on almost 2,000 youth wing members from the main centre-left and centre-right parties in Australia, Italy and Spain. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. (laughs) Multinational, yes. And so, yeah, of course, the data from Australia came from the Australian Young Labour and the Young Liberals. And in all these three countries, youth wings are a key entry point for the political career pipeline. So, as you said, Anthony Albanese, he was the president of New South Wales Young Labour, as well as Paul Keating. Bill Shorten was the head of the Victorian Young Labour. And even on the other side of the Liberal Party, we know Peter Dutton was active there. And Marie Spain, for example, was the first woman federal president of the Young Liberals. Oh, truly. Didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Mm. So, really, there is a clear political career pathway in all these three countries. And the other thing they have in common is that in Australia, Italy and Spain, the centre-left party has established candidate and intra-party quotas in order to put women in positions of power, where the centre-right has not. So in our domestic case of Australia, the ALP has set this objective of putting 50% quotas for women, both as candidates and in intra-party position, to be reached by 2025. Let's see if they make it. <laughs> not far away. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and... While the Liberal Party rejects quotas because they are not meritocratic. And was that the same in other countries as well? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Mm. the centre-left always had some kind of quotas to promote women's participation, whereas the centre-right 
in line with their ideology, didn't establish those. So we surveyed all these youth swim members between 2018 and 2022, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> oh, that's a huge project, truly. <laughs> yeah, this long time frame was really due to the fact that we encountered all sorts of issue with cooperation and data availability. Mm. So, for example, the Australian youth wings do not keep a federal membership list. So we had to go to the leaders of each state and each uh, territory to ask them to distribute the survey among the regional members. But then also at that level, they didn't have lists, so it was just so hard to make as many people as possible to, to do the survey. And in Italy and Spain, they actually had a national central register, but it didn't work out pretty much. <laughs> you know, young people just don't want to do surveys, but this <laughs> is right. something, yeah, all survey researchers will tell you the same. Like, it's just older people retired, they love that kind of stuff. Young people, we want to hear from you <laughs> in the survey. Exactly. So, so what did you find? So we had three main key findings. The first one was really that men outnumbered women in all the youth wings. In each country? Yes, yes. Isn't that interesting, despite any cultural differences or language differences between each, th each country? Exactly. Same trend. But there were some differences across party ideology. Mm -hmm. So within each country, you had more women in the centre-left youth wings than in the centre-right which is what you would expect also if you look at membership in the senior parties. So, for example, in Australia, women represented 31% of the Australian Young Labour, but they were only 22% of the Young Liberals. So that's really a, a boys' club. <laughs> Even in the youth wing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. It starts early. And the second finding was that women in youth wings are much less likely to express electoral ambition. So this is, was in line with the expectation, even at this early stage, women are not interested in pursuing this public type of political careers. And still though, overall, over three quarters of men were interested in standing as candidates one day, as opposed to over 50% of women. Big difference. Big difference, but it still tells you that they are very ambitious, these mm. young people. Because yes. Those proportions yes. are much smaller if you look at senior parties. Oh, truly? Okay. Yeah. Mm. So a very ambitious bunch, but a big gender gap. And actually, Australian youth wings were the one that recorded the largest gender gaps in that sense. Mm -hmm. So both in the Australian Young Labour and the Young Liberals, there was a 30% point gap between women and men. Significant. <laughs> yeah. And in terms of party ideology, against our expectations, we found that actually women in the centre-left were no more ambitious than women in the centre-right. And that was unexpected because we know that traditionally centre-left parties have been those, you know, trying to promote women's participation, to put quotas, exactly, and so on. But we saw how this doesn't actually translate into higher levels of ambitions among women at the grassroots. And the third and final finding was the most surprising one, that actually women in youth wing are almost as likely 
that's meant to express uh, non-electoral ambition. So when we really look at these types of political careers behind the scenes, working for the party, that still allows you, you know, to have an influence on party programs, campaign strategies and so on, but are not on the spotlight, the gender gap in aspirations between men and women reduces considerably. For instance, overall, we found that about 72% of men would like to work for the party one day, and 67% of women did. So what was a massive gap is now reduced to a 5 mm. percentage gap. So that was a surprise to the researchers? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a welcomed one, mm. of course, <laughs> yeah. because it means that it, it is really worth it distinguishing between these two career pathways, because... It's not that just because women don't want to run for public office, it means that they are less interested than men in politics or in a political career. But rather, as the title of our study suggests, it's really about the type of political career. So Sounds like you're really helping to debunk a few myths there that have been hanging around around women's political ambition. That's very interesting. What happens from here? You've brought all the results together. What does it mean, do you think, for parties and trying to, as you say, close that gender gap? Yeah, of course, this political ambition, gender gap, is just one side of the story. And we know that these aspirations are shaped really by the behaviour of political parties and by those institutional and even informal barriers and gatekeeping practices that I mentioned at the beginning that keep on hindering women participation. So it is the duty of the party elites, more than the women, to actually foster their their political engagement and, and activism. And as we have seen, given how most candidates and party officials are drawn from the grassroots of these political parties, to make political careers more attractive to women in parliamentary democracy means to make joining a party more attractive. And we have seen how already at the youth wing stage there is a massive disbalance between men and women. Women join way less than men. So if parties really care about improving women participations, youth wings are the place to start because it's when men and women are young that you do not have those patterns of inequality that are already established in terms of resources, family commitments, job and things like that. So you can actually be more effective in foster their participation. And it shows it's not just about quotas. I think there, there can be a bit of a very focused kind of discussion about quotas being, in a way, the only way to resolve this gender gap. It's far more nuanced than that. Exactly, exactly. There is much more than this formal practice in order to improve women's participation that can be done. Because quotas can only fix that side of the equation of the, the women who want to represent as MPs, as elected candidates. But yes, what about all the women who could be part of those political parties and making a contribution who don't feel encouraged? Exactly. That's exactly the point. So we suggest that by starting working at the grassroots rather than already at the level of those who show some kind of aspiration, it can be way more effective on the long term in order to improve women's participation. Did you find any differences between the left and the right with these results? Yeah. 
So as regards the electoral ambition, so the, the desire to stand as candidates, we found that it didn't matter whether they were men or women, but people in the center right in general were way more ambitious than people in the center left. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It really tells you something about the kind of environment, I guess, that these, these political parties foster, even at the youth wing level. While for uh, the desire to work for the party in non-electoral political careers, there weren't many differences between centre-left and centre-right. Are there recommendations beyond what you've mentioned now for political parties, do you think, to make them more welcoming spaces for women? For example, we know that some of the problems that are witnessed at the senior party level is that, for instance, I don't know, party meetings tend to be held late in the evenings and so on. And what's actually most interesting is what happens after the party meeting. So the kind of conversations you have in the bar, things like that, or at dinner, that kind of stuff. That's really where political capital is built. And that's usually an environment that favors men, right? Because they are the ones that tend to have less family commitments and so on, and they can actually participate in those sort of social environments. And from the research that actually my colleague Duncan McDonnell is doing, it's the same at the level of the youth wings here in Australia. So It starts early, doesn't it, those it patterns? Does. <laughs> it does. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you go to have the drinks after the party meetings and so on, and that's the center, right, of <laughs> the politics where everything happens, when the interesting conversations happen, when you meet friends and so on. So I guess <laughs> first recommendation would be starting from making it less alcohol-oriented and, you know, evening, like held in the evening and so on, but because, making it more inclusive. I mean, essentially, though, those environments can also be highly sexualized is the problem as well, isn't it? And it's, that's quite daunting, I would have thought, for exactly. many women. Exactly. Mm. Sexualized, racialized, and so on. Mm. So that would be already a good start. <laughs> mm, to, to try and find a more neutral way of, of having these meetings and discussions. Yeah, yeah. More mm. neutral venues, timings, and so on. So, Sophia... Is there anything that can be done on a political party level to encourage women to be more interested in becoming a political candidate? In the US, I think they actually have candidate training for women. Was that any any recommendations in your study? Yeah, you're right. There actually are uh, candidate trainings in the US uh, addressed specifically to women. I don't think it would be my first recommendation because establishing these candidate trainings almost as the underlying message that it's women that need to be fixed Ah. instead of political parties themselves working on their practices in order to improve women's participation. So, of course, they may be welcome to foster women's political skills, but but that's not the bulk of the work that needs to be done. That's actually not the problem. No, (laughs) the problem is far more deep-seated and starts so young, as you've shown, these really deep-seated cultural aspects that have been ignored. Exactly. <laughs> mm, just just as an overview of this discussion, and thank you so much for joining us on the Gender Card today. This has been fascinating, but you've debunked some of the myths, many myths behind those assumptions that people make about why women don't go into politics. <laughs> yes. It's, it's not just women don't have the desire to be candidates. Exactly. Yeah. It depends on the political career and 
I hope that with future research we can try to really unpack what it's about this public political career that it's so unappealing to women. And to look into that, yes, and that reasoning in, in more detail. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Gender Card, Sophia. Thanks for having me, Nance. Thanks to Sophia Amasari for sharing her insights into gender and political ambition on this episode of The Gender Card. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced by the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on all the major podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.